Hey everyone, welcome to episode 94 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me this week is Andrew Brown. Hello. And no Ginny again, still recovering from uh, PAX Australia, I think. So we might have something of a smaller show for you this week. Uh, it depends on how long we spend talking about one of the games in particular. No prizes for guessing which. But we're going to talk about Fire Emblem Three Houses. I've got a, sh- a quick update. We're going to talk about the Switch ports of the popular D&D video games, which include Baldur's Gate games and Planescape. And we're going to talk about The Witcher 3, which we've been dubbing The Switcher. I have a, a small update on Fire Emblem Three Houses. Since I got my Switch Lite, I've been putting a ton of more time into uh, Fire Emblem, uh, just on and just on the basis of being able to play like ten minutes a time. I'm now flying through that game. I just wanted to talk about the time skip and what that meant. Uh, the mission before the time skip, there is a, a huge revelation that's dropped that uh, I was like angry about, but in a good way because the plot point sort of changes the way you think about some of the characters in the game and and what happens with them yeah and then you hit the time skip uh, and i was expecting like the structure of the game to change like dramatically because of the time skip and what had transpired but it, it doesn't really change at all which i found weird basically there's the time skip everyone is at, at war which is you know that that's not a spoiler it's fairly predictable and you know the big bad is meant to have destroyed the monastery and what that means is they knock down a wall <laughs> and the monastery is still completely usable and whoever you's, you've recruited and the members of your, your chosen house still attend the school, you can still train them. Uh, the only real difference is you can actually learn from them now rather than it just being the one-way street where you were their teacher. Uh, just, a, just a weird plot point all around uh, and yeah, just I wanted the the structure to change and like impact the way I was playing, and it, it just hasn't really. So I'm just I'm still going through the motions. Those motions are still enjoyable, uh, but it, that didn't play out as I'd anticipated or how it was hinted to me. It's still got that persona like rhythm. Uh, you're still choosing to do it with your time, uh, and yeah, that's about it. That was just the quick. Uh, update i wanted to give i'll be uh talking more about that when i finish it and with that there's not much news nothing else really to update people with so we'll just get on and talk about what we've been playing this week okay so uh, first up we're going to talk about those D games they are the beamdog infinity engine pc D ports uh andrew you got the boulders gate and Baldur's Gate 2, and Planescape Torment, and Icewind Dale games. Uh, how are you finding those? That's a really difficult question to ask, because these are really, really big games. <laughs> and um, I do not have time to play them right now. And on top of that, I, I know enough about them to be incredibly intimidated about what I'm about to get into. <laughs> not so much Planescape. I think Planescape is shorter and not really easier to get into but i I know it's less focused on combat and more focused on on puzzles and dialogue mechanics so planescape is the one i think is the most approachable of these four games uh but they are enhanced editions of these turn of the millennium pc games which have the dungeons and dragons rules from the turn of the millennium and i know that Dungeons and Dragons has semi-recently had its magic system overhauled, so it's easier to understand. Yep, fifth edition. (laughs) That's why I'm intimidated by these games, because these are using the older magic system before it was overhauled, so (laughs) I I basically have to learn those systems if I'm going to play Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale, and I'm busy doing too many things simultaneously to try and take these three (laughs) games on. But I will play them. I'm very excited to play them. I'm very happy to play them, because defying my expectations, it's turned out these games actually were optimized for console play. What I predicted was these were just going to be lazy console ports of the pc version with the mouse bound to the joysticks that is what i predicted these games would be and to my surprise and delight that's not what they are uh they they have remapped character and party movement to the joystick and all the menus have been completely redesigned for console play they are working with radial menus that activate using the left and right triggers on the controllers very similar to uh the diablo 3 console version There's a new story difficulty setting, which with as big as these games are and as intimidated as I am by them, that might actually be how I end up playing them. It's just on a difficulty that lets you just play the game for the story and there's combat, but it's been simplified and and nerfed to the point that it shouldn't 
it's it's not intended to provide a challenge to any kind of player although i'm sure there are still people out there who would struggle with it and the biggest compliment i've seen uh polygon actually in a, a very hyperbolic headline actually said that the Baldur's gate ports are the definitive way to play the game on the switch version so that that's kind of eyebrow raising wow uh, yeah <laughs> I don't know why I got these games when I did, because I'm sure if I waited till I was actually ready to play them, I could get them cheaper, but <laughs> I own them, so I'm going to play them. I just, I don't know when. <laughs> I got too many other RPGs <laughs> this year I haven't even started. So I got four more just huge RPGs to tackle. Planescape is probably going to be the first one that I approach, because it's made by people who went on to make Fallout New Vegas, so I, I kind of... Of these four games, I, I know what to expect the most from Planescape. So that's probably the one that I'm going to tackle first. But certainly I'm not going to play any of these until after the new year <laughs> at the earliest. <laughs> uh, where I am with these ones is I definitely want to play them. But also, you know, the, the developers and similar developers have created experiences that are similar but modernized. So I'm, I'm thinking Pillars of Eternity. I'm thinking uh, Divinity. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like I'd be better placed cutting my teeth on those where they're they're sort of classic inspired but still with modern uh, game design sensibilities uh interestingly though uh, one of the reasons i didn't pick these up is that uh, i didn't well i was more worried about everything else i'm playing as as you are but they're actually not out until the end of the month in australia which i didn't find out until earlier this week oh. so i didn't really have a choice <laughs> in that but uh yeah i'm definitely interested i am particularly interested in Baldur's gate and Baldur's gate 2 because they're, they're like the big ones that everyone talks about and you know there there are proper D campaigns that uh, focus on Baldur's gate and yeah I've just, i just feel like it's a big part of my rpg fandom that i'm just missing a big chunk of because like i've never had a pc good enough that i would want to play games on it so i've missed mm -hmm. out on a lot of mm -hmm. these quote-unquote computer rpgs i've dabbled in divinity original sin on ps4 but there was too much you know too many big games that i wanted to play coming out so it was fun but i, I dumped it pretty quickly which is something I, I wasn't really wanting to do so yeah i did just pick up pillars of eternity on pc for like 25 bucks i did double check the switch price before doing it because i would like to play it on the switch and on the go because rpgs in handheld format as we we're well about to discuss are a good combination uh so yeah so that's where we are with those expect more from andrew next year on that uh i'm sure he's in for a good time <laughs> uh, i'm definitely more interested about the the new story difficulties because i think with their age it's probably just worthwhile just breezing through it just to sort of see what it's about breezing through <laughs> it <laughs> even on story difficulties these are probably still good 50 yeah. hour games but i mean without being you know stuck by walls of difficulty and and all that so yeah and and learning yeah. curves Harsh learning speaking curves. of learning curves <laughs> And that brings us on to The Witcher 3, or The Switcher. Let's just talk about the game itself before we get on to the obvious conversation that every outlet is doing, but with side-by-side -side screenshots that tell you nothing about what the game is. Uh, so The Witcher 3 is something of a an open-world uh, dark fantasy series set in like a medieval Eastern European fantasy land. Uh, it is the sequel to other games, obviously, given it's numerical oh that's why they yeah, called it witcher it's, 3 it's not just because oh. there's three characters when if you count to three from the beginning no okay <laughs> what well, see that's weird because you know star wars just started with episode four and they certainly never made episodes one yeah. two, and three so yeah. who'd have thought yeah <laughs> uh so you play as a witcher which is sort of like if you've played the halo series he's the fantasy Master Chief, basically. I'm offended by that comparison. <laughs> he, he is a kid that has been taken, had weird experiments done to him to turn him into a super-powered mutant bounty hunter, monster hunter thing. Uh, that gives him a bunch of abilities, like, uh, you know, a crease in the five senses. He can... It means he can use a detective mode, which is a, a good feature. <laughs> Uh, and basically, he's yeah, he's just a superpowered human who hunts creatures for money for local villagers who are having trouble. Uh, this one focuses on his adopted daughter Siri, who is the she's the descendant of a, a noble, and he's sort of been training her to fight and to be a witcher. But I, don't, I think in this world, women can't technically be witches. Uh, my memory on they that is can't, sketchy. but Siri uh, basically is one, but she doesn't yeah. have all the mutations and everything. 
So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she is playable in this game, and she has a, a bunch of other abilities that you can use, which we'll probably touch on, on shortly. And basically the game focuses on a thing called the Wild Hunt, which, if you aren't familiar with The Witcher... Uh, they're basically White Walkers, <laughs> icy supernatural fighters, and they're after Ciri for reasons. Uh, everything in The Witcher takes place in the middle of a war between, you know, fantasy factions. Uh, Nilfgaard, uh, I forget the name of the other one. because no Redania. That's the one. Uh, everyone's just focusing on the Nilfgaardians at the moment where I am. And Andrew's got in the notes here that none of this is really explained to you at the start of the game, and that is absolutely true. It just sort of drops you into the middle of this ongoing thing. I, I guess these these plot points are explored in the previous game. Did you play those at all? I tried to play the first one, which was a PC exclusive, and it was just ugly to look at. Like, Geralt looks like a zombie in that game, and <laughs> I got into the first town, and everywhere I went there was locked doors, and I was just like, forget this game. <laughs> and Witcher 2 is, is a game I, I've always felt bad that I have still not played uh, i i'm planning to play it next year finally but no i've not yeah it's a the, the war and stuff is sort of touched upon in, in those and it's sort of set during the the same era in this this fantasy epic but here you've got the that's a plus point well yeah i mean it makes the world feel really real and how much of what's going on in the world right now do we really fully understand uh we, we think we understand it but that's just because we've been living in it in our whole lives and that that's kind mm -hmm. of how Geralt lives in this thing is, is he's he's wrapped up in all these conflicts and he he even has quite a bit of influence on them but he he's not really responsible for anything that happens in it he doesn't always know all the machinations until they're revealed to him so it does help to make the world feel authentic with how dense it is and how complicated everything is it's just the by virtue of the fact that i've already played this game through on playstation 4 that i have any clue what's going on right now in the first 20 hours mm -hmm. of the game because when i played it back on playstation 4 i was like what stop saying new country <laughs> names stop it <laughs> <laughs> um and it's true the some of the worst like video game storytelling is where they just drop you into a world that feels like it's made just for you uh, I, I feel like Skyrim is guilty of that because, you know, they make you the, the chosen one Dragonborn and all that and everything is just about your influence on the world rather than you just being a small part of, an, of, of a real world essentially. Now, on the game itself, so I just want to give you uh, a bit of context about like my my thoughts on, on it, having also played it on PS4 haven't touched the DLC yet, which I'm hoping to do on Switch. Same. And I've heard good things, nothing but good things, especially about Blood and Wine. But, uh, uh, Hearts of Stone actually is uh, the one that I've, I've always heard really great things okay. about. Like Our mutual friend Joshua Garrity insists that Gontaro Dim is one of the all-time great antagonists in video games. So yeah, looking forward to that. But Blood and Wine is supposed to be excellent as well. I came in to Witcher 3 off the back of having been incredibly disappointed by Dragon Age Inquisition. <laughs> so, Oh, it's a good thing Ginny's not here. Yeah, that is... It's not a bad game. Like, it's a well-produced game. But, boys, did it just tire me out. It was just so... It felt soulless. Like... Uh, my issue with it was you have more impact on that world in a menu than you do in the game itself. Uh, most of the side quests are just go here and, and that's it and do something like collect some things kill five things it's very mmoe and then like whenever i make that complaint people always tell me no you should be getting out of the first area as quickly as possible and it was like no 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 this isn't a problem that's exclusive to that first area <laughs> the story missions are great everything else that you need to do to make sure you leveled up enough to enjoy the story missions is just so utterly boring yeah i just i just did not like it at all like the, it just didn't have the the sense of world that the witcher has that that i was looking for and then when i came into the witcher 3 like i just because of how tired i was from dragon age i was like i i'm not sure i want another big rpg in this vein and what set it apart was the writing ultimately and the as we discussed the way the world is so utterly fleshed out so for example i don't think it's being hyperbolic to say that a lot of the side quests in The Witcher 3 are written as well, if not better, than the main quest. In fact, now that I say that, I think the main quest is definitely the poorest thing. Because of the way the main quest is presented, especially at the start, it's not always clear which missions are part of the main quest, except for the fact that they are actually labeled mm -hmm. 
you know, main quest in your quest log, but when you're actually doing them, they're indistinguishable from any other quest that you're doing in the game. And like, seriously, you don't get to the point of the main quest until the last 10 hours of the 100 hours it will take you to play through the main, the main storyline. This is a very slow paced game, which is both to its, its credit and to its ill. Yeah. Uh, and so it's set up, um, the, the main story is the girl is is trying to find Siri because he's been having nightmares that she's in trouble. But on the way, he's still got to make a living as a witcher. He still has to go, you know, take up hunting jobs and earn money. And then that's where you get into the whole RPG systems of getting, you know, finding better gear and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, now, <laughs> I saw you have a conversation with uh, a mutual friend on Twitter. Uh, hey, McGonagall. Cat lawyer. Where you... <laughs> That's the one where you were talking about uh, getting like specific Witcher gear. And I was like, I have no memory of this at all. Uh, And I think what happened was because it was just for gear, I sort of shelved the mission until near the end. So I think I did it, but I don't think I did it when I should have done. And yeah, there's just like that. That's just one tiny inconsequential side mission. It sounds like you're saying that you just didn't feel like the Witcher equipment was highlighted enough and you didn't feel it was worth pursuing yeah which is wrongo uh, <laughs> <laughs> apart from the fact that m- most of the equipment that Geralt finds especially earlier on in the game I-, I derisively refer to as renaissance fair costumes because they're they're bright and they're like stripes and they don't look like armor <laughs> but uh i'm sure they're very authentic but they just they don't look good but Certain merchants you talk to, you can buy treasure maps from them that will guide you to diagrams for making Witcher gear. And the first of these you can get is the Griffin set, which you can first get at level 11. Seriously, once you get your first set of Witcher gear together, and there's four different kinds that you can get over the course of the game if you choose to pursue all these treasure maps, once you get your first set together, you will never use the regular equipment again it just immediately becomes a source of income for you and they actually look like pretty cool sets of armor so (laughs) especially if you're playing on a higher difficulty where your gear really matters as soon as you get to level 10 pursue that griffin gear set that way you can use it as soon as you hit level 11 because it will immediately take the edge off of this game's difficulty which i'm sure we'll get to talking to in a little later uh well you know what let's talk about it now uh this is a hard game at the beginning it is very very punishing not least because of the way it handles uh its autosaves which is uh seldom uh especially in the early part you I, I would definitely encourage people to save a lot and before any type of encounter but don't be surprised if you find yourself caught off guard and in, in trouble luckily saving is really fast and easy yeah, you can do it whenever you want, uh, and it's you know in a snap, and you're back in in the game. I, yeah, the, the game definitely has a hump, and then you once you get past maybe what the first twenty percent of it, I, everything gets a lot easier. It depends. Yeah, it depends on what difficulty you're playing on, obviously. Because if you're playing on easy, that's very much a story mode difficulty. You can just mm-hmm. breeze straight through the whole game if that's what you're into. But the the combat difficulty ramps up significantly on the way up to death march and if you play on death march even basic enemies are going to kill you in three or four hits and when when you're fighting often large packs of enemies because like even some of the basic enemies they come in minimum groups of three and like the wild dogs and the wolf packs there can be as many as a dozen and (laughs) you will die very quickly if you don't know what you're doing Uh, and a large part of that plays into the the setup as well as a as a witcher you're like an expert in your field uh, you know ha- tracking and hunting monsters and you sort of have to know or at least research you know what's going to be effective against a particular monster so you can get the ingredients for and brew potions to sort of imbue your weapons with with things that will make the fight a lot easier a large part of it is getting uh Geralt to to meditate that's what, basically where you you stop and heal like it's all done in the sense that he is uh, a professional hunter basically and and you have to know like any hunter how to approach your prey and how how to how to bait them in and and what does damage to them and that counts from you know like the the creature based stuff like the the griffin that is uh, so important to this early part of the game uh, all the way down to like the 
the, the spectral stuff later on. I think, especially on the easier difficulties, you can probably get away with, with not really engaging in that. But I, I think that's a really, mm-hmm. really cool aspect. The thing that bogs that down is your sword maintenance, which you can't perform yourself. Oh. You, you have to get back to a blacksmith and get them to do it for you. That does get easier as time goes on because you have access to more blacksmiths to repair for you. And also, I feel... The, the weapons you have later in the game do have more durability for you to work with. Mm-hmm. And also Geralt is just stronger, so enemies die faster, so you waste less durability trying to take down the tough enemies. Yeah, but at the start of the game, especially when you don't have money to repair and there's only a few blacksmiths around that you can even utilize to do those things, it can be a little rough keeping your gear repaired. Yeah. I just, I just And I just remember like this distinct like feeling of like I was bloody just drowning in the combat when i first played it <laughs> and then and then just suddenly nothing was a challenge um yeah and that that was playing on normal i'm playing it on normal again i i, I never really engage with difficult modes really uh but uh yeah there was just this this sheer difference at one point where it was just like bang so i think what my secret there is just you know play it like an rpg do do the available side missions as long as they're sort of within your your current capability and then you should be okay when you get to the really big stuff uh so uh, one of the big changes here is oh sorry not changes but you know one of the big differences here with a lot of uh, big open world rpgs is that Geralt is a character from start to finish you get to choose his lines you get to choose uh what he decides to do you get to you know handle situations in the way you do it but they're all done as his character which i i think this is one of the game's strongest suits uh it's not a skyrim where you'll just create you know your the idealized version of yourself or anything like that uh you you are playing as this character this known character in this world you know he's he's pretty famous songs have been sung about him so you you'll get to places and people already know who he is and and know the stories i feel like this is a, a one of its strongest suits like i enjoy role playing as Geralt uh and and making those decisions in the moment uh what, what do you think about that andrew yeah definitely like especially getting away from you know the story and Geralt's importance in the world just just playing the the fact that he's a witcher like mm-hmm. the, the witcher contracts that you can pick up almost every town has at least one monster hunting job you can take up those are my favorite things in this game i would be perfectly happy to play an entire game <laughs> that was just witcher contracts yeah they're they're super strong uh and like i don't know i i usually have this habit of like whenever i play a big rpg with with moral choices i mm. usually just end up going like the evil route because it's just something i wouldn't do <laughs> in real life i did not think you were gonna say that (laughs) and i am just like sometimes in these rpgs i'm just a terrible person i've i've sort of uh took my foot off the gas on that somewhat since playing like dnd i've tended to to role play it a little bit more but uh where i'm going with this wild tangent is that um like in this game it's not always clear what what is good and bad and Mm -hmm. what seems like it may be merciful in the heat of the moment may actually be something that causes you trouble later on and vice versa it's not always that obvious where it's just like you chose to do the right thing so we're going to punish you for it but uh it's all this little stuff that just makes everything in this game feel more believable i i I really love that about it i i feel like it tackles it it certainly tackles it better than stuff like dragon age or or skyrim where it's just a clear you know good or bad or what's out middle option yeah, like Skyrim, almost everything you do in Skyrim, it, it does, you know, have a concluding, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. There's usually a reaction in the world to your decisions, like in the Dark Brotherhood questline, you can choose to spare Cicero, or you can choose to kill him. The only difference that really results from that is whether Cicero is standing around in the Dark Brotherhood base after you finish the mission line. In Witcher, if you choose to spare somebody, they will appear later in the game in another story capacity. Mm-hmm. If you choose to kill them, there will be consequences somewhere down the line, either good or bad. It does not just give you a choice and then have a completely effectless result on the 
on the game world afterward. Yeah, and uh, I I love how varied the side missions are as well, where there's just like, you know, some are very combat heavy, some are just all about uh, Geralt doing his Batman thing and investigating scenes <laughs> and tracking stuff down for people. And then just when you think you've figured it out, there's always a, a twist to it that you hadn't considered. Often Geralt has it figured and it's like relayed to you in a way where it's not, where you don't feel like an idiot for not spotting it. But yeah. Uh, I uh, there's just such a great mission variety. One example I think is really good of of showing this, and it also explores a little bit about how you can really role play as Geralt. Is there's an early mission you get in the game called I think it's called Wild at Heart, and it begins very simply. Is Geralt takes this mission from the job board that's posted in every town uh, to go talk to this hunter whose wife has gone missing and. He gives Geralt the information on the last place that this woman was seen. Geralt goes out and investigates the scene and eventually follows this trail of clues using his detective vision to this cave underneath a hut. And it turns out that the husband that you're doing the job for is actually a werewolf. And the, the missing woman's sister tricked her into going into this cave while the husband was transformed and had locked himself inside to protect everybody, uh, and she got killed. And the, the husband never even knew what happened because the sister was jealous and wanted the husband for herself. And you can make a number of different choices in there for the final result. So this is one thing that I, I really love about role-playing is Geralt. Is, he is a witcher. His job is to kill monsters. But there's, there's a line that a lot of people make fun of but i actually think is a really excellent line is about how Geralt has a silver weapon for monsters and a steel weapon uh for beasts and men and Geralt insists that actually no they're both for monsters because men can be monsters too mm -hmm. um and so at that point after it's all come out into the open you can actually decide to either let the werewolf uh kill the sister for revenge and Geralt can just stand aside and just let it happen or um you can actually defend the sister in spite of this horrible, horrible thing she's done because cause that's Geralt's job as a witcher is to kill monsters and defend people. So that, that puts a lot of uh, jury and executioner power in witcher's hands, which is maybe a little concerning, but I, I think it's a really interesting way to play the game. Uh, when I played on PS4, I let the werewolf have his revenge before I killed him. Um, when I played on the Switch, I was thinking a little bit more a little bit more like I was following the Witcher code. Like, obviously, this woman is a terrible person and maybe doesn't deserve to be defended, but I thought, I'm a Witcher. I'm actually going to kill this monster and defend this woman, even though she arguably doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I think on my PS4 playthrough, I, I let the werewolf have his revenge. Um, I think I'd probably do that again, just <laughs> from, from my memories of that one. But... Uh, I yeah I did actually like set out on the PS4 version of this game to to sort of you know try get the best for Geralt out of every mission whether that's yeah. monetary or gear and then just the way it was written just kept preventing me from doing it where I was like mm, I I don't want to be the guy that does that or or, or that sort of thing so yeah it was uh, it it does sort of like test your your internal moral code which as as we just discussed mine was. <laughs> very black and white uh, when it came yeah. to other games but I, I think this this game was one of the those that actually helped me buck that somewhat well, like and later on in the game like it, it starts off very black and white most of the monsters you fight are horrible you know mass murdering monsters but later on in the game you can take contracts for what are presented to you as horrible mass murdering monsters, but they're actually just non-humans trying to live their lives and are being basically persecuted against. And it is technically Geralt's job to hunt down and kill these things, but you can choose not to. And either way it's presented, you know, whether you're following the Witcher code and you are killing these monsters, or if you are letting Geralt, you know, appreciate and embrace his conscience and let, like, this, this succubus who is being a succubus but isn't actually hurting anybody just let them go mm -hmm. and the game lets you make these choices uh, my favorite one is the the little girl creature uh who's been secretly living in a house 
Oh, the godling? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important part of the main story, too, so you can't skip that one. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I, I love that one a lot. Um, And that goes back to what you were saying, like, it's hard to tell where these side missions can tie into the main quest that they'll have and and all that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the times you'll take what sounds like a really boring job and like three hours later you're you're finally wrapping up this entire conspiracy you've un- been unwittingly following. It's a, this game has yeah, depth. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and and there's, there's a nice complexity to it. Um, so let's talk a little bit related to the story. Uh, the, the game does have some sort of in- ingrained sexism in there. This is a really hard topic for Andy and I to discuss because yeah. <laughs> I wish Ginny was here so she could provide her perspective we're, on it. We're white but... men, we suck at this, and this is probably a game made by mostly white men. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've seen the developers, and they are. Every time I see one of these developers who made the game who comes out to you know represent themselves as part of the team, it's a white <laughs> guy. Which it's a Polish team, so like, yeah, I kind of expect yeah. that, but still, but. This is made by white men, and I would argue directed towards white men. So I think Andy and I can talk about it in that capacity since we are the target audience, I think. I think we can criticize it from from that viewpoint by looking at the things that it's assuming Andy and I would would enjoy, (laughs) which is the perspective I I try to approach it from. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of male gay stuff. Uh, so just now I, I walked into a herbalist house and the first thing you see is her bootay and yeah just a lot of stuff like that and there's a lot of times where women are the victims or uh, as Andrew just alluded to with the werewolf story you know they become they feel victimized to the point where they become the monster uh, themselves well and, and then there's also there's an entire like subset of monsters like wraith monsters who are women who have been wronged Mm -hmm. horribly by men and who then come back to life as these spirits that then hunt men so like you know men somehow manage to turn the fact that they're complete jerks and i'm I'm actually thinking of a much (laughs) worse word but i'm trying to keep it pg um then turn around and go oh these women we've done horrible things to are now trying to kill us woe is me even uh, totally and I guess it goes it. into the, you know, the historical, you know, gender stereotypes, and they're leaning into that. And you know, I I get there is an argument for that, but it doesn't make seeing some of this stuff any less uncomfortable. Uh, and I guess if you do find it uncomfortable, that's that's a good thing. <laughs> um, and like, so I I've played Witcher two, or at least I did until my save corrupted, and then I said screw this and went oh. to something else. Uh, that that is not an open world game. That is that does take you on more of a point A to point B sort of journey through through these areas. It, it it's episodic. Yeah, smaller sandbox. Yeah, pretty much. That's a good way to to talk about it. And it, and in that one, in terms of the the sexism stuff, that like it's night and day. Like I I think it was such a difference that I that's why I haven't noticed it as much in The Witcher Three as well as being wow. yeah as well as wow. being you know a white man and therefore especially since not the first thing but the second thing you see in this game after it starts is Geralt's primary mm. love interest naked yeah. from the backside um, <laughs> but uh yeah so <laughs> in in the Witcher 2 there's like like most of the time Geralt's mission like reward for completing a mission is sex i i've heard about how you can sleep with pretty much anybody you know well that's an exaggeration but you, you can sleep with a lot of people in those games in this game there's three total and if you do try to romance more than one uh it will bite Geralt in the butt later on <laughs> which I did I tried that uh-huh. in on the PS4 version and I yeah I I ended up with nothing <laughs> so, serves you right yeah absolutely uh, but that was that was me coming coming at it from a, I wonder what will happen. Okay, if. well, um, it's a video game, so I did the same thing in yeah. Mass Effect. I did a lot of things I would never do in in real life, you know, morally, <laughs> just as like just so I could see what happens. Uh, but yeah. Witcher Three, 
is a very strong proponent on monogamy, believe it or not, <laughs> in spite of everything else it has to say about women in relationships. Yeah, so so it is like a huge improvement on, on Witcher 2. Um, not least because it does have a bunch of like really strong female characters. So we did talk about uh, one of Grot's uh, love interests who is like butt naked at the beginning. Um, she is one of those strong female characters. She knows herself. Uh, she... Uh, asserts herself over Geralt there's a hold there which I think some people will miss if they haven't uh read any of the books uh mm. I have there there is there is it is explored I think in this one yes it definitely is I have just a memory of a cutscene. I haven't read any of the books but from what I understand um Yen comes off across a lot better in the books than she does in this game in this game mm-hmm. I openly implore people like yen is emotionally abusive do not pursue her relationship <laughs> uh, but that's just in the game because i understand in the books it's a completely like different interpretation of the character there yeah so i've, I've read the first book which is like a collection of short stories about witcher uh, about Geralt. sorry um and in my head i know it's probably from just playing the game it's yen from the game like she's pretty close, but it does delve into their relationship a lot more. Obviously, a large part of the game is you have to be doing the combaty things because it's a video game. You have to be doing the missions because he's a Witcher. Uh, but they do; it, it is more explored in the books. And uh, coincidentally, like the way that first book is written, where it's just like short stories about a single mission that uh, Geralt's taken on. Uh, it is like. Mm. I can understand how someone read that and went, "This is this would be a great video game because the book is is very structured, very video, video gamey." Um, <laughs> there's there's also Triss, who is uh, another on and off love interest for Geralt throughout the series, and he's she's one of the other main possibilities in this one. And and again, she's a strong one, but I I feel like she's the she's one more than than Yen, who who would just you know follow girl anywhere in, in, until <laughs> you betray her as i did in the ps4 version yeah like triss i think if you only play witcher 3 triss is the one who comes across the best of the two possible main romances in the game there is a third person who presents the opportunity for Geralt to have uh, a night together with her but um totally took it <laughs> oh well she's not gonna help you at care more now no she did not uh, um no, not not in this one. But, but yeah. But Triss is also in Witcher One and Witcher Two, and in Witcher One and Witcher Two, Geralt has amnesia, so there's a whole thing of non consent going on there that yeah. doesn't put Triss in the best light. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but um yeah. So the relationships in this game are the the romantic relationships in this game are really complicated and yeah. there's really not a great choice whichever way you go but i do prefer triss because having not played the first two games i'm able to ignore the things she did to Geralt in those <laughs> games uh, i feel like in this one she she made amends and i think she definitely comes across as the the nicer of the three um like the the one you take home to mama <laughs> um and then of course there's the real main character which is siri uh which, although you you play as Geralt, sort of following her through the world and trying to catch up with her, she's definitely the main character. Yeah, like as I alluded to earlier, like things don't really get started until the last ten hours of the main story. That's when you finally catch up to Siri. Uh, <laughs> the first first vast majority of the game, I would say, the first eighty to ninety percent of this game is just Geralt trying to catch up to Siri, and every so often he gets a little update from somebody about what siri did while she was in the area and then you play as siri very briefly usually for a mission that lasts five to ten minutes and then you're back to Geralt for another 10 hours yeah i liked her a lot though um like we've got in the notes here that the her like uh, flashback sections aren't the strongest narrative wise some <laughs> yeah that, that might be largely because of the way they are told they are flashback sequences they are few and far between so if she was able to constitute as much of the game as Geralt does 
those weaker sections might be diluted quite a bit. I'm especially talking about <laughs> uh, the Skellige bathhouse scene where literally Siri gets taken into a bathhouse with some other women and they bathe naked while talking about boys. Uh, the scene feels like it was written by a 12-year-old. I, I absolutely detest that scene, and I bring it up every time we talk about this game because uh, that scene is awful, 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 awful. Um, and Siri, who is a great character and doesn't deserve to have that happen to yeah, her. Um, yeah, she's great. And, you know, like, the, the game has uh, a bunch of different endings that obviously change depending on the things you choose and the ending that i got i i was kind of ready for her to lead witcher 4 but you know wouldn't make sense with endings other people got um i at least wanted dlc where she was the star <laughs> and we could explore her a bit bit better because uh, she's great you know i am still clinging to the long since discredited notion that she's mm -hmm. actually going to be in cyberpunk <laughs> that's obviously not going to happen now but for a long time that was what i was pulling for. <laughs> cyberpunk's really going to be about uh, interdimensional por portal to the far-flung future where she gets cybernetic implants i like it well there is a little joke in this game that siri mentions she went to another world because well i guess we've just let the cat out of the bag now that is one of the reasons siri is so important is because she can travel between worlds and between dimensions um and uh one of the things she mentions seeing in one world is very <laughs> obviously talking about cyberpunk yeah sorry so. I, I must have accidentally spoiled that because i my memory on that one is is bad <laughs> well it's a spoiler but it's also not like, it's a spoiler for the same reason we've talked about oh, a lot of the things in Witcher 3. It just kind of drops you in and expects mm -hmm. you to already know things. Like, people who have read the books, they already yeah. know Siri can do this. Whereas if you're just playing the games, <laughs> you're going to be like, whoa, this girl is teleporting. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, talk about Roach uh, and your hatred for him. Roach is Geralt's horse and... This is just one of the worst modes of transportation I've ever seen in an open world game. And I just, I simply refuse to use Roach unless I'm going such a long distance that not using him would just be bullheaded. If I'm going like a kilometer or like 1,000 little notches on the map, it tells you exactly how far your destination away is. If it goes over 1,000, I'll take Roach at that point. Uh, otherwise, I'll walk because Roach is supposed to follow roads automatically but doesn't do it very well <laughs> so uh, um sometimes it works great like if you're following a very clear road it's fine but if you're going like even a little bit off road or you're going through an area that has crossroads or even worse splits into three different paths roach goes <laughs> berserk and i just i don't like dealing with it and uh, after having already played it on PS4, I'm just already fed up with it. But as happened with Skyrim, like I'm perfectly happy to walk everywhere in this game now. So the the magic of the Switch it saves the game from Roach. <laughs> I, I, I feel that... Uh, I agree it's not perfect by a long shot. Uh, but I find as long as I'm preempting the direction I want to go and just make the slight adjustment before I... I hit what could be a problem point. It's just enough to get me through. I, I don't feel like I can preempt um, anything because I feel like I'm constantly fighting Roach to keep going in the direction I want them to be going. Unhelped by the fact that there, there's yeah. a GPS system on the map that automatically shows you a, a path you can take, and this, this system is constantly changing its mind about what direction you should be going, and that, that throws me off yeah. as well. Yeah, I just... I, I've, I've never thought of it as anything but something i've done <laughs> I, I like uh, when i started the show notes it was just like oh yeah. okay like, let me emphasize uh, but yeah i don't really think less of the game for it it's just this is a game serious problem in the game and i know there are a lot of people who agree with me roach is awful and i just i just don't use them <laughs> unless i i really have to i uh yeah I, I just haven't had that that issue with him but like you know He's, I find him sort of emblematic of the general control in the game, which which isn't 
pitch perfect all the time. We'll we'll get onto that shortly. Uh, in terms of the the switch port, like I I have more trouble with him when I get him into a town and I'm trying to make you know minor adjustments or to just steer him past people without knocking stuff out of their hands. <laughs> uh, and I have that problem with with Geralt, but we'll we'll get onto that because they they did patch in a setting later, which we'll get into. So the switch port itself on handheld, this game looks absolutely amazing. Uh, I think that because the Switch can dock and be played on TV, I think we lose sight of the fact that it's also a handheld. Like, if the Switch was just a handheld and the port launched in this this way, people would just be amazed by it. But because it can dock, there's always that, oh, well, how does it look compared to PS4? Uh, when, just as an example, when Xenoblade Chronicles launched on new 3DS, like, it looked worse than the Wii version. No one complained. <laughs> yeah. Because it was an awesome RPG that they could play on the go. And that's where we are with this. So we just, yeah, every time a big game gets announced for Switch, it's always just, let's let's compare screenshots with the PS4 version. And I think it's gotten especially bad this year, though. Yeah. And, like, Digital Foundry are amazing, and they do valuable work, but people misappropriate what they're getting at a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, Digital um, Foundry is, is very interested in the technical side of things. That's what they're looking at. And then people take those technical analyses and point at very out-of-context things and say, look, look, look how bad it is. It's like, get over yourselves. First of all, that's not what Digital Foundry is saying. Yeah. Uh, second of all, uh, it doesn't matter. And uh, it's you're not saying anything interesting by saying this game doesn't look as good as the PS4 version. Of course it don't, doesn't. It's not as powerful as the PS4 yeah. system. This is nothing uh, we don't already know. <laughs> yeah, Digital Foundry... I shouldn't say this about Digital Foundry, but the way people use Digital Foundry, it's becoming like metacritic for tech snobs mm -hmm. yeah Met metacritic is the source of all evil um and like docs okay you know it, it it performs worse than the ps4 version no it doesn't mm -hmm. perform worse than the ps4 version it performs the same as the ps4 version. We've gotta be careful about the words we're using here yeah, it, it it doesn't look as sharp as the ps4 version absolutely fair criticism but uh you know the, the compensations they've had to make with the, the graphics has given it like a very watercolory painterly effect that I don't hate. I've seen I I know what you're talking about and I agree. Uh, but other things they're they're harder to ignore and reinterpret that way. Um, like especially like when the sun's out and it's bright blue and you buy the water, the lighting and, is still excellent. Yeah, it's amazing, and it just it it looked like a paint like a moving painting. So like. Yeah, it doesn't look as good, it doesn't look as sharp, but, you know, artistically, it, I, I think it still holds up pretty well in this uh, lesser-powered format. Um, as I just accidentally alluded to, the, the performance is comparable to the PS4 version. It's um, actually a little better from the PS4 version, from my <laughs> memory of it. A little better. Not much, but, like, the things that really matter, you know, like, loading times are about the same. FPS... From what I recall, about the same. Uh, crashes. The game has crashed on me a few times. Um, yeah, I had one early on as well. Yeah, but PS4 crashed on me many, many times too. So, like, if the PS4 is your benchmark, which seems to be it is, because everybody, that's what they're they're pointing at and going, look, look how bad it is. It's like, it seems like pretty much the same game, just at a lower resolution. So, mm -hmm. thanks for the compliment. <laughs> Um, I mean, like, the, the smaller screen is definitely its friend. Like, that's yeah. where it's mm -hmm. like, well, it looks like I'm playing a, a high-power console version on, in, in the palm of my hands. Uh, but, like, the, the, the docked version is, is not ugly by any stretch. Um, I can see, you know, the things have been done to make it perform as well as it does. But I still think it looks very good. And even if you're coming from that perspective of you know, come PC version or the P PS4 version. Once you're in the the swing of it, you'll you'll forget about it. Especially in handheld, yeah. like like e even like um the character models, they really hold up really well even in handheld mode. Like uh, they they never reach the point of like low resolution textures of uh, like Wolfenstein Two. Like I criticized Wolfenstein Two several times for 
how you couldn't really see the scars on characters' faces. Mm-hmm. You can see the scars on Geralt and Ciri's faces yeah, in this it, game. It looks They're very terrific. pronounced. They look great, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like there were, I did have that worry that they might cheap out and get through some of the the cutscenes through fmv and i'm pretty sure they do on some of the the non-interactive ones but like when you're choosing what Geralt says to someone else like it looks absolutely fantastic well fmvs are are actually bigger so yeah Yeah, (laughs) that would would be easier for them to do but in terms of saving space fmvs would not do them any favors and and that was the other point i wanted to make i was worried that with the size of the game and the amount of dialogue because like everything is spoken like there's not a single silent line in this i i was worried there there would be some obvious compression on the audio i haven't noticed any sounds great i mean like there's literally thousands of hours of talking in this game (laughs) Uh, i'm sure if you bust open that 28 gigabytes i think they said was how about the size it came out to i'm sure more than half of that is dialogue yeah i mean i i put it in and started doing an update just to make sure uh that there wasn't like a big day one patch there was a three gig there wasn't just a little little one yeah Yeah, little 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 patch um i can't believe we're in this day where three gig is small now but that's that's the reality (laughs) um welcome to the all digital future a couple of pro tips make sure alternative control is turned on because yes, it, it makes Geralt and, by extension, Roach that little bit more reactive to your analog stick controls. Uh, this was on by default for me. I don't know if it was for you. I had to turn it on from the main menu, uh, but in the original version of the game, and I guess CD Projekt Red, they have stated this is how they feel they wanted the game to be played. There's a lot of forward momentum with Geralt, so once he's moving forward, if you want to then turn left or right, it's not as lightning quick as maybe you feel like it should be if you're used to playing a game like Mario or Legend of Zelda or another game where you're exploring a 3D environment. Uh, from a third-person perspective, he, he wasn't that reactive. Alternative control mode moves him closer towards that level of reaction, although if you still want to make a 90-degree turn after moving forward, it's not going to be instantaneous. Geralt's got a little bit of a curve he has to make first. But yeah. alternative control does... It does make it much easier to adjust Geralt to get to those specific things you want to interact with, which was often a chore in the original control version of the game. Yeah, especially uh, in the early part of the game, it still has that little bit of a learning curve into making Geralt not walk weird. But yeah, yeah, you'll get there with alternative control. Uh, And I didn't even think of this, but you've said here to turn off motion blur. I hate motion blur. I've never seen a game where I felt that it has improved how the game looks i think it always looks bad so yeah like do it in warframe go into the option menus turn off motion blur do it in doom go turn off that motion blur do it in witcher 3 turn off the motion blur i don't know where this philosophy has come from that motion blur is a good thing to have i don't really understand how it helps the game technically uh, especially since they've put in the option to turn it off so i i I don't know I i don't understand it I don't like motion blur. I recommend you turn it off whenever you're given the chance to. Okay, uh, I will try that when I go back to it after we record. Um, okay, so when you turn, you'll actually see what you're t- turning to look at instead of just seeing this weird blurry shape. It, yeah. It's amazing. It's fair. <laughs> it's a good point. Um, and we're just seeing reports that maybe it wasn't an overwhelming sales success, so it didn't chart on the pre-sales. Uh, this is all U.S. data, by the way. This I, is all of the U.S. Here. data, but... Yeah, Link's Awakening was on the chart from pre-sales two weeks before it was out. Luigi's Mansion 3 is already in like the top 10, and it's not out for two weeks. I was just amazed that Witcher 3 didn't chart at all, anywhere in the top 30 from pre-purchases. I just I thought this game would have been guaranteed you know, profit for CD Projekt Red, but it, it finally showed up the day after release day at number 19 which is it's it's good it's a lot better than you know the other 800 games that are on the eShop but <laughs> for Witcher 3 you know the game one of the games of the generation it's like this game and Bloodborne and I don't know what else but like the, the those I thought Witcher 3 would be a home run and it just seems to have been a far 
right field, I guess. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that is down to just too many RPGs. Yeah. I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Like when I realized it was out this week, I just I was like, no, not another one. But it, yeah, like it came out the same day as those PC D and D ports. Yeah. <laughs> we got Pokemon next week or uh, next month. Dragon Quest Eleven came out just two weeks ago. <laughs> Three weeks ago, I guess. Yeah. Nino Kuni came out the month before that. I'm still trying to get through all those. <laughs> way, way too much. And I'm still playing Fire Emblem on top of all those ones you've just mentioned. So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, so let, let's leave it at that for now. We'll, we'll double back to it once we've been playing it some more. I'm going to play a little bit more this week. And then I'm going to park it till Christmas, I think. Because it feels like a good Christmas game. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Okay, Andrew, what are you playing this week? Nothing new, surprisingly, until the week of the 29th. That's when I get more new releases coming in. I'm going to save more of Switcher 3 until closer to U.S. Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, so next week, I'm going to go back to Ukulele and the Impossible Lair, and I'm going to fin- knock out as many of the games in the Trine Ultimate Collection as I can. And I've been playing Dragon Quest Eleven on weekends, so I'm hoping to finish that before October is out. Then it's back to Nino Kuni, which hopefully I can finish before I go back to Witcher 3. <laughs> okay, and my entry for this segment is uh, probably just going to be uncontrollable sobbing. I, <laughs> I, I'm not going to promise I'm going to play anything. I'm just going to try and finish as much as I can before Pokemon comes out. He's going to play Ring Fit Adventure. He's going to come back next week and he's going to have played Ring Fit Adventure. Oh, you yeah, you watch. I'll be fit and I'll be buff, and then you'll then you'll all be sorry. <laughs> He's gonna strang strangle me through the internet wires. Yes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community, and you can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can buy us a coffee, and details are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Craig Windle, and you can follow him at craigitycraig and at windmillsatdawn on Twitter. You can follow us individually on Twitter. Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. Ginny is at Ginny Woes. And I'm at Play Critically, streaming live at twitch.tv slash playcritically.
I'll be fit and I'll be buff and then you'll then you'll all be sorry.